Hey, good morning. I'm thankful to be with you this morning. Um, our church takes uh, church growth very seriously, as you can tell by the young families that were here this morning. Um, we really are seriously grateful for the amount of uh, young families that the Lord has just brought our ways um, over the past several years and um, the young families that we get to be a part of as a church family. Uh, this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about family uh, together this morning. I think that if there's one area in life where we can never get enough wisdom, uh, that family is it. In each new phase that we experience in life, there's something new that makes us wonder if we're actually doing it right. When we move away from home for the first time, when we get married, when we have our first child, our second child, our third child, our fourth child, when our parents begin aging, when we uh, lose a family member and we try to figure out how you do life with that kind of absence. With each of these transitions, there are good times and there are hard times, and no one has to coach us on how to do the good times right. When you get an unexpected visit from your kids as a parent and they come home to spend the weekend with you, you don't have to plan that surprise. Joy is just the automatic response there. When you're a parent of a newborn and the three of you sleep under the roof through the whole night for the first time, there's only one response, it's joy. It's like this is our automatic reflex when it comes to the good times, joy and thankfulness. But it's the hard times that make us question our confidence and our ability to actually get it right, whatever that role is. If we're alike in this, me and you, I have unending questions about how to be a husband and a father and a son and a brother. I wanna be a man who loves the people that I'm responsible to in each one of these roles. I wanna be a husband who's confident and compassionate uh, toward my wife. I wanna be a father who teaches our kids to love Jesus and how to love people and at some point to actually chew with their mouth closed. I wanna be a I wanna be a son that shows honor to my father. I wanna be a brother who's encouraging and offers a good listening ear to my brother and to my sister. But there are times that I just don't know how to do it. I need wisdom for the moment and I need wisdom for the next step. This morning, we're gonna take a look at what Jesus has to say about wisdom and experiencing difficulty. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven this morning. And we're going to apply it to our lives and how we live within our families. Our goal is not to walk out of this room with seven steps for perfect family relationships or three action points for foolproof parenting. But instead, we're going to ask five questions, five questions to help us understand God's plan to equip us with wisdom and how it anchors us during hard times. So this is going to be in um, Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 24 through 27, if you uh, are using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 812, page 812. So this is Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So our first question, our first question this morning that we have to ask is do we want wisdom or do we want 
foolishness? Do we want wisdom or foolishness? The man in the story that, uh, the story that Jesus tells uh, goes along with this long, the longest re- record of teaching that we have with Jesus in the New Testament. It's within the Sermon on the Mount. This story itself is also found in Luke chapter six. But Jesus tells this story of two men. They each built a house. And as the story goes, we discover that one man is wise and one man is foolish. They're building their houses generally in the same sandy neighborhood, but with two very different approaches. The wise man seems to be methodical. He isn't content to build his house on the grainy, shifting sand, but instead he digs down deep to the rock beneath the, low, beneath the sand. That's what we find out in Luke chapter 6. As the foundation is put in place, he builds it on something that's firm and steady that will not move or shift. And it's in these beginning moments, in these choices where he's first building his house, that the security of the structure and the safety of the shelter, it's where they're secured, it's where they're founded and grounded. So we have the wise man, but we also have this foolish man. And it appears that he's the man that's in a hurry. He builds this house quickly. He shows up on the scene with his building supplies and he gets to work. He starts laying down the foundation, but he forgoes the shoveling of the sand and he starts to build directly upon it. As the foundation's being put in place, he is going against logic. He's going against the way that every other house in the neighborhood was being built. And he's totally ignoring any advice or wisdom that's being given to those who are around him. He hears their words but he ignores the way that would lead to a safe and secure home. He assumes that he knows best or that things are different for him than they are for anyone else. So through this story, Jesus is offering us two simple equations. I'm not a math person, but this is simple math here. There are two equations. The first is hearing plus doing equals wisdom. Hearing plus doing equal wisdom. Jesus says that the wise man is the one who hears what Jesus says and he does it. So hearing plus doing equals wisdom. The wise man builds on the good foundation which will stand up against the difficulty of time. The second equation is the opposite. Hearing minus doing equals foolishness. Hearing minus doing equals foolishness. This is the opposite. The foolish man is the one who hears what Jesus says and doesn't do it. The foolish man builds the bad foundation which will crumble when life gets difficult. Wisdom comes from hearing and doing, from careful listening, and then from follow through. Jesus is really actually making a very bold statement here. He's saying that if we do what he tells us to do, if we follow through with what he says, that we are action by action, we are laying bricks in a foundation that will weather the difficulty of life. We're placing it on a solid rock that will provide this sure and steady foundation for the days that we live. Jesus is literally saying that we can build our lives on what he tells us and on what he teaches us. Like the man in this passage, we have two options in front of us this morning. We have wisdom or we have foolishness. In the case that Jesus makes here, it's pretty drastic. He says that wisdom leads to endurance, but foolishness leads to destruction. Who wants destruction? Who doesn't want to thrive and enjoy life and family and the days that the Lord has provided us with? We want wisdom. The choice is clear. 
So we go back to this equation that we have, if hearing plus doing equals wisdom, then how do we hear? How do we hear Jesus? For the folks that Jesus was speaking directly to in this time when he's preaching here, um, they're sitting on this Galilean hillside and he's hearing these word, they're hearing these words audibly. He's speaking really clearly to them. But for us who are sitting here 2,000 years later, how do we hear what Jesus says and then do it so that wisdom will be ours? This morning, we're not sitting there, but we're sitting here. So our next question is, how do we hear Jesus? How do we hear him? This morning, I would encourage us um, with that black book that is sitting in the pew rack directly in front of you. We hear Jesus as we read the Bible, his word that he's given to us. We hear solid truth about who he is and who we are. So if we look at this one section of the Bible that comes um, right before where we are at the end of chapter seven, if we look at, at chapters five through seven, and we read what Jesus said directly before he tells us to hear and do, we hear Jesus saying in Matthew chapter five, to let our light shine, his light in us, to let it shine before the world so that people will see our good works, see our good deeds and give glory to God. We hear Jesus saying that we should love our enemies and pray for those who are against us. We hear Jesus saying that we shouldn't be anxious but we should actually um, trust that the heavenly father knows exactly what we need and that he's gonna give it to us exactly when we need it. We hear Jesus saying to ask and to seek and to knock and that we have a good father that when he hears us, he will graciously give us what we need. Jesus is saying, if we do these things, we can build our lives on a foundation that will not disappoint. See, our families. They're built on, they're built on what we believe. My family is built on what I believe, what I do and what I don't believe. And if I believe that God has a plan for each of us, and I believe that God has a plan for my family, and that it's written on the pages of this black book, of this Bible that's directly in front of you, then the Bible becomes the very foundation of our families. And listen closely, friends, I'm not just talking about parents with young kids. I'm not talking about older parents with younger kids. I'm, I'm talking about the whole gamut. If you're sitting in this room this morning, you have a family, you are a son, you are a daughter, just at least. But you're likely also brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. And we build our families on this foundation, on the Bible. We don't look to the Bible as just a textbook for family living because we're always looking for somebody to tell us how to do it right. Because the Bible is actually more than that. We don't look at the Bible as a bunch of stories of families that we can look at and actually see ourselves in and hope that we can kind of navigate ourselves in that narrative. Not just that, because the Bible is actually more than that. We look to the Bible as God's, one of God's primary means of communication to us. Like a good father, a good father, a perfect father, maybe the father that you didn't have, the opposite of your father, or the very image of your father, a perfect good father. It's the way that he speaks and communicates with his children. The Bible tells us about God's character. It tells us who he is, that he's creative and loving and holy and just. The Bible tells us that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
and that we experience the love of God and the ultimate proof that he's shown us through the life and death and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. We find out that we were made in the, create, the image of our creator, God, that we look like him. We find out that we are both deeply flawed, we're messed up, but at the same time, in, that, in the midst of that flawedness, of that imperfection, that we are also deeply, deeply loved by this perfect and holy and just God. We find out that if we're left to our own ways, that we wouldn't be able to look past ourselves, that the only way that we can actually turn our eyes from ourselves to the world that is around us is only through God's nature inside of us. Only through him are we able to do that. We learn that we need God's love in our lives and that because of our offenses towards him, that there is absolutely no way that we can have a relationship with him on our own. And the Bible tells us that because we need that relationship and because we have a good father who provides everything that we need, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in our place in the midst of all of our imperfections and things that we've done to offend and separate ourselves from this holy God that Jesus comes and then he takes all those things upon himself and dies on a cross, taking the penalty, the punishment of our sin. And in turn, he gives us freedom. He gives us his perfect record in order that we can have a right relationship with God. There's only one way to God and it is through Jesus. There's only one way to hope and peace in life and it is through Jesus. So how do we do this? We do this through repentance and belief. We, do this, we, we have this relationship with God by turning away from who we are and, turn, and our own desires and turning toward God. We turn away from our selfishness and we turn toward God's goodness. And in the midst of that, we believe. We say that, God, we know that you love us and to have a relationship with us, you sent Jesus. And so we trust in him. And you may be here this morning and as we get to go in and, and keep talking about families and hope and peace, You may need to start back right where you are, knowing that hope and peace can only come through Jesus. And that may need to be what you hear this morning, the decision that you need to make, the thing you need to hear. What we're talking about this morning when we talk about hearing and doing equaling wisdom, we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about a works-based theology. What we're talking about is actually putting into practice what we believe so our third question when we apply this is what does, what does Jesus tell families to do? So how do we hear Jesus? And then what does Jesus tell families to do? As we, um, as we ask this question, we need to look at this like we uh, look at a pair of glasses. When we look through both lenses in the glasses, we're able to see, well, we're able to see clearly. So the Bible, it helps us to do two things. It helps us to understand our roles within the family specifically. So this is like one lens in the glass. It helps us to understand our roles within the family specifically. We look through this lens and the Bible specifically teaches us about family relationships, giving clear instruction on how things are supposed to work. If we look at Genesis chapter one, we read um, that the two, the man and the woman in the context of marriage, that they become one flesh. In Exodus, when giving the Ten Commandments, we read that we are to honor our father and mother. In Deuteronomy, when talking about remembering the specific ways and faithfulness of God, we read that we're supposed to teach these things to our children. In Colossians 3 and in Ephesians 5 and 6, we read that wives are to submit to husbands. 
that husbands are to love their wives and that children are to submit to their parents in everything. But we, we, the Bible helps us to see through this lens our roles as a family, but we need more than just this lens to answer the questions that we are confronted with on a daily basis. So the Bible helps us understand our role within the family specifically, but the Bible also tells us how to live with people, all people, as followers of Christ, generally. So we have to see how God has made us to live with people and not jump over our family in doing that. I've been guilty of reading the one another's in scripture and thinking that those one another's passage that we're to love one another, we're to serve one another, we're to humble ourselves before one another because this is the way of Jesus. I've been guilty of applying those, those truths, this way that God has designed for us to live outside the walls of my home before I apply it inside. But when we're following Jesus, we don't get to segment that out. We actually, we apply those one another's at home first. So when we read what is called the great commandment, in Matthew chapter 22, to love God and to love our neighbor, we have to remember that our closest neighbor is our family. And when we read the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, to make disciples by teaching them the same things that Jesus taught, we have to remember that disciple making begins at home before it ever takes a missionary journey anywhere else. When we look through both of these lenses, seeing our family roles and our responsibility to people, we're able to see clearly what Jesus is telling us to do. We hear it, we hear him. We're to honor our father and mother by loving them in the same way that God has shown love to us. We are to make disciples among our children by teaching them about the faithfulness of God. These are the things that we hear. But wisdom is not just hearing alone. The things that I'm saying to you, if, if you've had exposure to scripture or Christian teaching at any point, you probably heard these things somewhere along the, along the way. But it's not just hearing them. It's hearing plus doing that equals wisdom. We have to put to work the things that we've heard from Jesus. I think that this is where things get really difficult with family. When we follow the way of Jesus among our family, the risks are high. The people in our families have the greatest capacity to influence us. They have the ability to show us the greatest love and to cause us the greatest harm. Things don't seem to be as cut and dry when it comes to family. When we hear what Jesus says about loving our neighbor, and more easily love a family in need by taking them dinner than I can love my adult child by choosing to forgive the hurt that they've caused. We apply this equation for wisdom in our family. It means that we often have to make the difficult choice over and over and over and over and over again. Not just to forgive once, but to keep forgiving. Not to just step forward in obedience to Jesus, but to keep stepping out again and again and again. And this kind of wisdom lays a foundation in our families that will be able to withstand the hard times. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So the fourth question we have to ask is, is my foundation, is it good or is it bad? Is my foundation good or bad? Do we have um, anybody out here who watches some of those home improvement shows? If your hand's not in the air, you may be telling a little fib this morning. Everybody's seen one or another. Um, Holly and I, my wife at times, uh, we will watch uh, Fixer Upper. Anybody ever heard of it? Got some excitement out there. Um, Or Hometown, we'll watch these shows and we just, we think that they're great because people are taking something that is uh, really undesirable. Oftentimes it's these old houses that nobody would want to live in. And these husband-wife duos, they come in and they turn the whole thing around and they fix it up. And then um, everybody wants to make that house a home in the end. But in these shows, at the same time, there always come hiccups. There always come problems, right? So it's um, at some point, um, the, the plumbing from 1926 somehow is just not getting uh, the job done, right? It's, it's broken. It's faulty. Um, sometimes uh, that, um, this is one of my favorite ones. The load-bearing wall, it just gets in the way of that open concept dream. You know what I'm saying? But when it gets really bad, it always has to do with the foundation, right? They're fixing something and they realize that something's unlevel. And in that moment, like all the white paint and the shiplap and the ceramic tile, it's all going out the window because you've got to do whatever it takes to fix that foundation. You're going to invest every time and amount of money you've got to actually make sure that this house is going to be able to stand when it's done and not just uh, look pretty. What we know is that a foundation is proven It's truly proven when it's tested. So we see the end result of that show, but we don't see it over time. Just like whenever we walk into our own houses, we probably rarely walk in the door and say, man, I'm so glad I've got a good foundation here, right? We just walk in and we expect the foundation to do the job that it was intended to do. When we buy a house, we may have an inspection done that tells us if the foundation's in a good way or not. Um, Whenever we see some settling happen with our house, we may get it checked out again. But overall, we don't really think about it. The foundations, it's beneath the subfloor. It's beneath the studs in the wall. It's beneath the hardwood. It's beneath the carpet. It's beneath the furniture and the people that are standing on it. But if that foundation is not there and if it is not sure, the house will not stand. Over time and over history, over experience and over elements, if the foundation's not right, you're gonna feel it. And you're gonna feel it in really drastic, drastic ways. We have to ask this question when we think Is my foundation good or is it bad? By knowing that our foundation is proven, it's truly proven when it's tested. We have to know that when we're experiencing life in an almost unpredictable world filled with difficulty, with hard, hard things, that we're tested. We encounter problems both internally and externally. And our families, they are tested by both of these. So families are tested by internal problems. And this is when each of us, we have, we have broken bodies. We have sickness and pains and we have broken hearts when desires go unmet or when they lead us astray to make poor decisions. And we have broken minds that lead us in thoughts that are just warped about who we are and what our existence in this world looks like. 
Our foundation is tried by these problems. But then we have external problems. We're tested by these external problems. Some situations are completely outside of our control. We have broken expectations from life not turning out the way that we had planned for it to go. We have broken relationships because forgiveness is withheld and not given. And we live in this broken world with ever-present effects of sin surrounding us morally and culturally and in so many ways that we can't even stand here and count it. And the combination of these internal and external problems, they result on an attack of God's primary means for both individual care and collective compassion, and that is the family. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says that what we build our lives on will determine how we respond in difficulty. And if we establish our lives on something that is rock solid, unchanging, unmoving, unaffected by time and culture, we will get to the other side of that difficulty with ultimate peace and hope. If we build our lives on Jesus and on his way, we will be able to endure hard times Wisdom leads to endurance, but foolishness leads to destruction. If we hear Jesus's words and do what he says, then we are laying a foundation of our families on solid rock within the kingdom of God. We're living in his wisdom instead of our own foolishness. Wisdom says that we can't get through this life and build strong families on our own We need perfect strength that can only come from outside of us. Foolishness says that we can do this all by ourselves. We don't need God or anyone else to tell us how life should be lived and how families should be built. But question five this morning, question five, but what about when we're foolish? What about when we're foolish? What about when we don't always follow through, when we hear, but we don't do? We hear Jesus, but we're too lazy or we're too selfish or too unconvinced to actually follow through with the life that he has designed. If perfect obedience is the only way to wisdom, then we are destined to be foolish. We respond with anxiety rather than trust. We respond with retaliation rather than goodwill. We say hurtful things without loving the person that we're talking to. Oftentimes I find myself going back and forth between wisdom and foolishness like a tennis ball at a tennis match. I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And when things get really tough, when things get really tough in our family, I'm forced to turn back to wisdom because I've run out of all the answers and foolishness has just proven to be foolish. It's even in this imperfect obedience that we're reminded clearly of our need for Jesus, that we cannot do this on our own. We need to obey, but more than that, we need him. It's our inability, it's in our weakness that Jesus is able and he is strong. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses nine, verse nine, we read Jesus's words to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And friends, we are weak. We are 
We can't do this on our own. We are weak when it comes to hearing and doing, and we're especially weak to hearing and doing when it comes to our families. But it's in this weakness that the power of Jesus is actually made perfect and complete for us. There are times that I find myself discouraged and embarrassed with how I've treated Holly and how I've treated our kids. There are times where frustration It wins out over forgiveness when it comes uh, to my dad. And I don't do, and I don't do what, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. I need to hear what Jesus has said and do it, but I need to rely on his power, on what he does in order to actually follow through. Because on my own weak efforts, it would actually never happen. You see, no person or family is too bad for Jesus. No person or family is too bad for Jesus. It is not possible to outwrong the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. It's completely impossible to act in such a way that God is not able to redeem. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't bear the consequences of our actions But what it does mean is that God's forgiveness toward us through the person of Jesus, it is unending. And that includes our wrongs that are connected to our family. If I'm talking about this this morning and you're landed here and you're feeling feelings of shame or regret or condemnation, because we're talking about building a foundation and you're like, man, the house is already built. My kids are already grown. They're gone. My grandkids aren't even coming home because the foundation on the house is messed up. It is not too late. It's not too late because no person or family is too bad for Jesus. Those thoughts of condemnation and regret and shame, those thoughts and emotions, they are an assault on God's work in your life. He extends us grace. He offers us forgiveness. And then you know what he does? He calls us to more. He looks at our poor decisions. He looks at our offenses toward a holy God. And through his blood on the cross, he offers us forgiveness. And then he says, come away from that. There's a better way. Hear what I have to say and do it. Walk in wisdom. There's a better way. He repairs the cracks in our faulty foundations and he gives us strength to put down new bricks on a sure foundation that will lead to endurance. So this morning we have a clear picture of how God equips us with wisdom through his word and by his power, he provides an anchor when hard times inevitably come. And you may be sitting there right now. You may be sitting there right now and you're hearing this And you're saying, so I'm just supposed to read this and do it. What I'm saying is you need to open God's word to you. Let him speak to you. Let him do what he says it's gonna do, that it's gonna cut to the heart of who you are because he doesn't want you to just read words on a page. He wants to meet with you like a father meets with his child. Whether you're turning a corner into a new life phase or noticing some cracks in your family foundation, Jesus invites us to do a few things. He invites us to start hearing today. He invites us to start doing today. And he gives us the strength to start today because without him, we can't do it. 
Friends, God's word tells us that we are loved by a perfect and holy God that gives us everything that we need in life. And when we look back at our history or forward at our future, if we are paralyzed thinking that we don't know what to do next, all we have to do is turn to that perfect father and tell him we need wisdom. James 1 tells us that if we lack it, that all we have to do is turn to him and ask for it and he will give it to us. He will tell us what we need to hear and by the power of his spirit, he will give us the strength that we need to do it. And he will enable us to weather the tests of life because we have a God who is able. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you that you don't drop us on this planet, set us in the middle of relationships, and then just leave us to our own devices. That you've not done that throughout history and you don't do that today. God, that you place us on this planet, caring for us, loving us, and sending your son Jesus to die for us in order that we could know you, that we could meet with you, that we could learn from you. And so God, this morning, there are those of us that are sitting here that say, we need that kind of wisdom. We need to hear what you have to say. And then by the power of your spirit, we need to step forward and do it because we want to build a family. We want to build a foundation. We want to be a people that does things that last not just for our own sake, but for the sake of your kingdom, God. So this morning, we ask for your power. We ask for your strength. We ask for you to be among us and to do the work of healing and forgiving and restoring that only you can do. And we believe you can do it, God. So we ask that you would do it. And we tell you that as you do that, we will hear you. We will listen. We will step. We will move. We will walk in the wisdom that you have set before us, God. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.